0: I'd invite you to uh, turn uh, to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four. It is the beginning of Advent season, and uh, next week, God willing, we're going to start our Christmas series. But we've been moving through verse by verse through this amazing, amazing book, and uh, this morning we are going to we're going to close it out. Philippians chapter four, verses ten to twenty-three is our passage, and. Uh, I hope, as I've been, I'm sure you have been, how encouraging this book has been, right? It's often been called the epistle of joy. And believe it or not, uh, the word joy comes up some 15 times in this book. The word Christ comes up some 50 times. I don't think that is a coincidence by any means. So let's read our passage now, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 23. Word of the Lord. Now, if you're familiar uh, with the magazine, Rolling Stone magazine, in the early 2000s, uh, this magazine decided that they would compile, I don't know how they did this, but they would compile the 500 greatest songs of all time. And they did. And I, I think recently it's been updated, but in the early 2000s, the greatest song ever written of all time was a song by Bob Dylan called Like a Rolling Stone. Seems a little self-serving. But the second song, the second greatest song of all time ever written was a song by the Rolling Stones. Again, a little self-serving, but the song was I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Now, maybe you're familiar with that song and Uh, They write about this song saying that this is a song that is a generation-defining song, that this song has a near-infinite shelf life, and it is a song that has defined our generation from the year it was written, 1965. I believe they're right. I believe Rolling Stone magazine has nailed it on the head that we are a generation that can't get any satisfaction. You don't have to look very far, right, to to see how dissatisfied our society is and even within our own hearts, right? Why we don't have to look so far is because the natural bend of our hearts is dissatisfaction or what the Bible says, discontentment, right? Maybe you're at a job right now and you're dissatisfied with the work and the place that God has placed you in. You wish you were working somewhere else for a different company, doing a different role. Or maybe it's your relationship status. Maybe you're single and you are discontent with that place and that position that God has you in in this season. You don't want to be single and you're not content with that. Or maybe you're married. And you're in a season where your marriage, is, it's difficult and it's hard. And you're dissatisfied with that place that you think back to those days when you were single when you didn't have to serve your spouse or die to yourself like you did when you were single. Or maybe you're married and you want kids. And for whatever reason, you don't have kids. And God's timing, you don't have kids right now and you're discontent with that or maybe you're married with kids and you love your kids, but there are moments when you think back to those married days when you didn't have kids. Oh, the precious time that you had, The so much time to do whatever you wanted. Oh, the money that you would save not having kids. Or maybe you think back to when you didn't have kids and you could get tons and tons of sleep You're discontent, you're discontent. And the Bible has much to say about contentment and discontentment. John the Baptist, when soldiers came to him in Luke chapter three and asked, how can we manifest and have genuine repentance? He oddly said, be content with your wages. To Timothy, the apostle Paul wrote, that if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. The writer of Hebrews, he, he wrote this in chapter 13 of Hebrews. He says, make sure your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. And again, the apostle Paul to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And the verses before us is the Apostle Paul is finishing off this letter to this church whom he loved. He loved this church. I'm sure that's come through as we've read this. This was the only church that partnered with him in the gospel. And what we find is a man that is utterly content. A man that is chained to a soldier. A man that probably has been tempted at times to think how his ministry in ways is limited to uh, just a desk and a pen when at one point he was out there and he was planting churches and he was evangelizing to the masses and people were being saved, people were being sanctified, churches were spreading and being built and here we find a man that is chained to a guard and probably as he writes this letter, he hears the clanking of that chain on his arm. And yet what we find is a man that is content and he begins this last section of thanks to this church And he wants to call them to be content in Christ. See, Christian contentment is not just a Christian virtue. Christian contentment is something that we are called to. And in verse 9 of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he says this before he goes into this last section. We we, we read this and heard from this last week. But he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things he wants to present himself as an example of contentment to this church for them to follow. And the calling is to be content in Christ. That has been the theme of this letter, if you've picked up on it. Right from the get-go, he's, he's talking about the partnership in the gospel they have He talks about the righteousness that is only found in Christ. He talks about the humility that they are to have just as Christ was humble. He talks about the calling to live for Christ. He talks about standing firm in the gospel in Christ. He talks about, last week as we saw, the peace of Christ. And now he's calling us to contentment in Christ. Philippians, church, I love you. You need to be content. Christian, You need to be content. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content the Apostle Paul is giving thanks to this church. He's saying, I have rejoiced at your partnership in the gospel. I have rejoiced at your concern for me. In verse 11, he says, I'm thankful for what you have provided financially in your partnership, but I want you to know, Philippians, I didn't need it. I didn't need it. And the first point that we're going to see out of our text is the circumstances of contentment if we are called to contentment in christ the apostle paul he wants to show the circumstances in which we are to be content namely every and any circumstance we find ourselves in and he says that not that i'm speaking of being i have learned that this was something that wasn't natural to the apostle paul's life and it's not natural to our lives That the natural bend of our hearts is the opposite of contentment, dissatisfaction, envy, covetousness. That we want things that we don't have and often we want things that God would will us not to have that are sinful. And some of us, before we dive into this passage, we think that we're relatively good people. Perhaps you're in here, you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't repented of your sins and you think, I'm not a bad person. I've never killed anyone, I've never committed adultery, I don't lie, I don't steal, but I wanna remind you of the 10th commandment and I believe the 10th commandment reveals our hearts to each of us that we are sinners, that we are enemies of God, we are people who have rebelled against his law. Exodus twenty seventeen, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet guilty, all of us our natural hearts bent is to coveting and envy and dissatisfaction, and it is only in Christ that you can be satisfied. So we see the circumstances in which we are to be content. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Every situation, wherever he's found himself. In fact, he notes two specific situations that he's found himself in and he uses these polar opposites to kind of illustrate i've been abounding and i've been low and everything in between i have learned how to be content what are the circumstances verse 12 he says i know how to be brought low some of us in here we feel the weight of those words because we're like yeah i'm in that low season I am lacking, I am suffering, I am in need and it's hard and it's difficult. I am brought low right now. And we would say, we understand that because being content in a low position, in a position where you are in the valley of the shadow of death is difficult. Whether you're in that season right now or not, we would say yes. It is difficult to be in that season and be content. And yet we find the Apostle Paul, I know how to be brought low. Content in the prison. Content shackled with chains. Content being beaten, being rejected, being persecuted. Paul knew contentment in the lows but he also mentions being content in the highs he says i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of placing facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I think we can easily pass by this part, right? We can resonate with, yes, it's hard to be content when we're lacking and suffering and being in need, but Paul specifically mentions abounding as well. And I don't think it's as easy for us to be content as we think when we're abounding. In our flesh, we think so. I, I read that. I know how to be content when we're abounding. My heart says amen, like yes, I know how to do that. When in reality, in our flesh, I don't think we do. We live in a time and a place, 2022, Western society. We are abounding like we've never abounded before. And yet, we are wanting and dissatisfied just as much as humanity has been since the beginning of time. The Apostle Paul, he says, I know how to abound and be content. Whether I'm cold or or whether I'm in comfort, I know how to abound. Whether I'm abounding, whether I'm abased, whether I'm in the the valley or whether I'm in the mountain, I know and learn to be content in whatever situation. Can you say that? The situation, the season, the position, the place that you find yourself in right now, can you say I'm content with it? In God's providence, he has placed me where I am. I don't understand it, but I am content with it. Some of us were asking, I'm not content in that situation I find myself in, but man, do I wanna be? I don't wanna be dissatisfied. I don't want to feel wanting. I don't want to have the song of my soul singing, I can't get no satisfaction. I want satisfaction. I want contentment in Christ. But how do I actually get it? How do I actually find contentment in Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Apostle Paul, he shares. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, and abundance, and need, and here we go, verse 13, he is going to share this secret with us, and this is our second point that I want us to know, the secret of contentment, verse 13, he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, what an amazing verse, this is the secret right here, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We know this verse well, right? This is one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. When I think of this verse, I think of NBA stars writing it on their shoes. And they say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that I can go win that NBA championship. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. This is one of the most um, misunderstood and uh, abused verses in all of the Bible, right? Many of us maybe have quoted this verse or thought this verse. And in reality, what Paul is talking about, he's talking about contentment when he quotes this verse. He's not talking about having the NBA finals right before him, and he's got, he needs Christ to go help him get the three-pointers. Three he's not talking about that. I think of when I was in college, I remember a roommate of mine, he, uh, he really wanted to ask this girl out. And he kept saying to himself, man, I could do all things through him who strengthens me. Like... <laughs> He needed courage, yes, but this is not what this verse is talking about. Or maybe you're someone who's got a big exam coming up in the next week and you're, th- you're quoting this verse, you're thinking about this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's misused, it's misabused. Paul isn't even specifically talking about spiritual things in this verse. And why we know that is because he's talking about the physical nature of being content and wherever God has placed him in, whether he's in comfort or whether he's in cold, whether he's abounding, whether he's abased. I can do it all. Why? Because of Christ. In fact, here here in this verse, we see a facet of the gospel. If we think of the gospel as a diamond, it's got all of these beautiful facets. And here, right in this verse, is one of those facets that's shining beautifully. And here's the facet that's shining in this verse, is that Jesus Christ gives what the world can't. Contentment. If you are a non-Christian and you are searching for contentment in your job, in your family, in love, in a person, in material things, you will never find it. If you are a Christian and you are searching for contentment in those things, you are looking in the wrong place. There is only one place that you will find contentment, and that is in Jesus Christ. Have you found it? Have you found it? If you're a non Christian and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't repented of your sins, I want to invite you. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. That you come, you repent of your sins, you acknowledge, Lord, I am a sinner, and I am in need of your grace, and you will not only find forgiveness and joy and purpose, eternal hope, you can find contentment. You can find satisfaction, and as we continue on, I want to mention, as Paul would quote this word, contentment, this would have been very shocking to the Philippians, for Paul to use this word, it would have been a little, woe. Because this word was a word that was commonly used in first century uh, Greek culture. And it was used by the Stoics. It was used by the Greek thinkers and philosophers. That to say that you were content was considered in first century Greek culture the greatest virtue. But what the Stoics meant by contentment was that I am self-sufficient. I don't need anything or anyone that I am content within myself. I am enough. And what's interesting is this kind of stoic thinking hasn't left our culture. It's kind of prevalent. I was walking around chapters yesterday and I saw a number of books and a section in chapters that was dedicated to stoic thinking. That you can buy the daily stoic and read a devotional for stoic thinking. And Paul, when he's saying this, when he says, I have learned how to be content, his contentment isn't in self-sufficiency. His contentment isn't in himself and saying, I don't need anyone, I don't need anything. What he is saying is my contentment is found in Jesus Christ. I'm not self-sufficient. Christ is sufficient for me. And what we see here as we look is, uh, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, the all things was actually in the emphatic position. That it was at the beginning of the sentence. If we were to translate this literally, it would be all things I can do through him who strengthens me. We need to qualify that All things, does that mean Paul doesn't have to eat or sleep or he doesn't need to participate in the common means of grace? He doesn't need to be a man that is praying and in the word and seeking to obey the word. Does it mean that he has superpowers and can kick down doors and fly? He can do all those things. He can win NBA championships. He can ask out that girl to the prom. That's not what the apostle Paul is talking about. The all things, the all things he is referring to is those physical difficulties, those places that God has providentially placed him in. As he's writing this, he is in a prison, chained to a guard. And for whatever reason, he understood that God in his providence has him there. And what he is saying is, you know what, when I am in those moments when it's difficult, it's hard, he's not saying it's not hard. But he's saying, I can do it, and why can I do it? Because Christ is infusing strength to me. In fact, notice he says, I can do. He doesn't say, I should. I might be able to. I'm trying to. He says, I can. Which literally means to be able to do, to have the power to do it. That Paul is spiritually enabled by God, by Christ, with his strength, to be in these positions and places where he finds himself in. It's as if he's thinking of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah forty twenty nine to 31. It says this, it says, he gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous, young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. The Apostle Paul is saying, if it is God's will for me, I can do it. Where I find myself in, I can obey God's revealed word to me. I can do everything within the will of God. If I'm in the prison, I can do it. Why? Because this is where God has placed me if I'm in the pulpit and I'm proclaiming the message to unbelievers, I can do it. That if God's word has revealed it to me, I can do it. And I can do it because he will provide the strength that I need to do it. If he's called me to it, I can do it. Is that true for you? Where you find yourself in, that circumstance, that season, it's hard, it's difficult, I'm not denying that. But if God has providentially placed you in that position, maybe that's the workplace. And it's hard to be content because that workplace that you work in is filled with not just unbelievers, but unbelievers that hate the name of Christ. And you know that you're called to witness and to be salt and to be light. And it's hard and you're not sure you can be content, and you're not sure you can do the things that God has called you to, Paul is saying you can. That you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Maybe you're a mom, and it's hard being at home, being a mom. Sickness is going around, and it's hard to care for your little ones. Like, oh, I wish I wasn't in this. I don't want to be in this. I don't like this. Lord, I miss those days when I was just... (sighs) had my husband and I didn't have little children that are crying and you can do it. You can do it because Christ will provide the strength for you. Maybe you're in school and you're stressed out of your mind right now. It's exam season. You just can't wait to be done. You, you long for the day when you're in the workforce. You long for the day when you're not in this place that God has placed you in. You can do it because God's word says you can do it because Christ will supply the strength For you, I want to read a section from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I love the Apostle Paul. This man doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. Like these Philippians would have known just how difficult of a life the Apostle Paul has lived. And yet he finds himself I'm content, I'm content, I am content. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 28. This is what it says. Let this encourage you. that If we think we have it bad, I, I don't even believe we've scratched the surface of the suffering the apostle Paul has and yet we find a man content. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger, From rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And here it is, listen to what Paul says after listing all of this. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong, amen. If it is the will of God for you, where you find yourself, God will empower you to do it, to live the Christian life in that season, in that situation, not by me, but by him. I love what one commentator said. They said this, we supply the weakness, God supplies the strength. How true is that? How true is that? He says, I can do all things through him. My sufficiency, Philippians, isn't in myself. It's in Christ. It is in Christ. Are we looking to find our strength in Christ? Are we looking to find our sufficiency in Christ? The Apostle Paul says, this is where you ought to look. This is where it is You want to be content. You want to find that secret of contentment. You need to look to Christ. You need to pray and ask, Lord, I need your strength. I am not sufficient for these things. I am weak. I am tired. I am unable. I am struggling. But, Lord, you are strong. And your word is clear. You give strength to the weary. Your word is clear that that I can do these things because you provide the strength that I need. This is the secret. The Apostle Paul, he goes on, and if he were to end his letter right now, the Philippians would be probably confused, maybe even insulted. Because again, this is a church they loved the Apostle Paul and they wanted to partner in the gospel when no one else did. They gathered finances and they gave to his ministry and he just said, I didn't need them. I didn't need them because I can be content in whatever situation I find myself in. So the Apostle Paul, he needs to explain himself because he doesn't want to think that this church did something wrong or did something bad. In fact, the very opposite In verse 14, he says this, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Apostle Paul, he wants to say, Philippians, you actually did a very, very good thing. Yes, I didn't need it, but you did a good, good thing. And he explains why under the title of the fruit of contentment. What the Apostle Paul goes to recognize and see in this church is that this church was a church that was also content. This was a church that was passionate about gospel ministry, that the name of Christ would go throughout the world, Asia Minor, that people would be saved, more churches would be planted, and they gave, not expecting that they would receive something from the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he's explaining this, he remembers this church. And he remembers when he was in Thessalonica, 10 years ago, when this church gave to him no other church the Apostle Paul partnered with gave to them financially, gave to him financially. And he wants to acknowledge that this church, God was doing a special work in this church, that this church was a content church. This was a church filled with Christians that were content, that this wasn't something that he's saying, I'm like this and you're struggling in this way, Philippians. But as he's giving thanks to them, he wants to highlight the fruit that is born in the Christian life when you are content. When a church is content, when a Christian is content, these things will be evident. And really two things I want to highlight from here. The first, that the Apostle Paul mentions a telltale fruit of a church and of a Christian that is content is generosity. Is generosity. And that is what he's mentioning in verses 14 to 17. And he ends in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Philippians, what makes this gift so much sweeter is not necessarily that it helps me materialistically and financially. What makes this gift so sweet is that you were giving to God. I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That there is a fruit that is born in a content Christian, in a content church, and the sign of someone that is content is someone that's willing to give. How are you giving? Someone who is not content, who is dissatisfied, thinks that they don't have enough. And when they think that they don't have enough, the last thing they want to do is give away what they have. He says... You were a generous church. You gave to me when no other church gave to me, and I rejoice in this, and I don't seek this gift. I'm not expecting this gift. I rejoice in this gift because there is a credit that is being uh, gathered to your account, and there is a day that payment is going to come. Many of us, we invest in stocks or GICs, right? We are, are trying to build our credits up because that is, uh, an important thing if we are going to be able to uh, retire well or, or gather wealth, help our children with their education, education, buy a home, all those sort of things, right? That is a wise thing to do, to invest. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is they're investing not in financial things because that, as far as this world is concerned, our payment's there, right? When we cash that stock out, that's the reward. The Apostle Paul is saying they are In a sense putting investments in a spiritual bank account that at some time on the day of Christ they are going to get that payout that they will be rewarded that I seek the fruit that increases to your credit he's saying I'm excited and thankful that you are a generous church because there is a reward that is coming we need to evaluate our hearts if you want to know if you are content you need to ask yourself am I giving I think financially, as the Apostle Paul, that's the primary context of this passage. Are we financially giving to gospel ministry? I can't answer that for you. You need to answer that. But I also think, are we giving of our time? Are we giving of the material things that we have? All that we have, time, resources, are we giving that and using that for gospel ministry to the glory of Christ's name? A Christian that is content will. A church that is content will. But notice, he doesn't just say that a telltale fruit is generosity, but he highlights something very important. He says this in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more, I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What the Apostle Paul brings to the Philippians' attention is, Philippians, yes, you gave to me. And I'm well supplied and I'm thankful for that. But you know what you were primarily doing, who you were primarily giving to was God. When you gave of your resources, when you give of your time, when you share the wealth that you have, you aren't primarily just giving it to an organization or a name. You are giving it to the Lord, and he uses this Old Testament language of a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When you give to Hope Markham, when you give to the Christmas offering, when you give to gospel ministry, you aren't primarily giving to Hope Markham. You aren't primarily giving to just gospel ministry. You are giving to God, and a content Christian, a content church knows that and sees that and bears that fruit. What an amazing thing. So what type of fruit are you bearing? What type of fruit's hanging on your tree? Do you see generosity? Do you have a heart of worship? The Apostle Paul wants to bring this out in this text. A content Christian is a generous Christian. A content church is a generous church. If we've seen the circumstances and we've seen the secret and we see the fruit, Paul, he wants to lay down one last thing. He wants this church to see the foundation of contentment. The foundation of contentment. Verse 19, what an amazing verse this is. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul is saying, you want to know the foundation of of contentment. It is God's promise that He will supply your every need. You've heard the, the phrase, He will supply it our needs, but not our greeds. And that's what He's saying. The needs that you have, Philippians, the Lord knows it. Christian, the needs that you have in this season, the Lord knows it. And look at how He describes this He says, Every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not out of, but according to. Now hypothetically say I had a hundred billion dollars in my bank account and I saw someone out in the lobby after church and I slipped them a five dollars. Now I gave out of my wealth, but I didn't give according to it. If I were giving according to that hypothetical a hundred billion dollars, imagine if I wrote a check for 25 billion dollars right there and I gave it to that person. Now, that's not giving out of my wealth. That's giving according to my wealth. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is highlighting. According to God's riches. Not just out of, but according to the wealth. And I, I can't even describe the greatness of that wealth. It is incomprehensible, the wealth that is found in God. The riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And here he read Matthew chapter 6, and as he was praying, he brought to our attention the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ. The surest sign, the biggest need that we have, God has supplied. God has supplied, and surely he will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. So as we end, I wanna remind you, Christian, I wanna encourage you, Christian, God's word calls you to contentment in any circumstance. And you can do it. And you can do it not because you're great, but because the Lord Jesus is great and he will provide the strength that you need. And I wanna encourage you, look, look for that fruit. Do you see that fruit in your life? Do you see that fruit in our church? We can cultivate that. We can go to Christ and ultimately stand on that firm foundation that is the promise of God to provide every single thing that we need, that we can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now I wanna close reading a section from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. He was a Puritan writer and he wrote a little book called The Rare uh, Contentment, The Rare Jewel of the Christian Life. And he writes this, and I I hope this is an encouragement to you. All creatures in the world say contentment is not in us. Riches say contentment is not in me. No, contentment is higher. The soul which by coming to Christ, by understanding the glorious mysteries of the gospel, comes to see the vanity of all things in the world. And the soul that comes to true contentment they will see that it is not necessary to be rich, but it is necessary necessary for me to make peace with God. It is not necessary that I should be absolutely rich, but it is necessary that I be absolved and pardoned of all my sin. It is not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I should have Christ as my portion and have my part in Jesus Christ, and that I should be saved on the last day. The other things are pretty fine indeed, and I should be glad if God gives them a fine house and income and clothes and advancement for my wife and children. These are comfortable things, but they are not necessary things. I may have these and yet perish forever. No matter how poor I am, I may have what is absolutely necessary, that is what Christ and his gospel teaches me, that we have the most necessary thing. We might not have riches, we might not even have our health, but we have Christ. What more could we want? And with that, we can be content. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize life is hard And our hearts long to be satisfied and content. And Father, we recognize that contentment can't be found in this world. There is no amount of money. There is no amount of material things. There is no amount of power or position. Contentment is found in Christ alone. And Lord, we turn our hearts to you and we ask, Lord, as people that long to be satisfied, would you satisfy us with Christ this morning? Would you remind us that the situation, the circumstance we find ourselves in, the season that we find ourselves in, we can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can face that scenario We can face that situation utterly content, obeying the word of God because of the strength that you infuse and give us. Lord, we praise you and we give thanks, Father, for your provision and your son, Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. There is nothing we need more. And in that, Lord, we boast and we rejoice this morning. We give thanks and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.